Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Good evening, Coach Paula. It's dark outside. Yes, it is. (laughs) Time for a nap. Bedtime. (laughs) It's too late for a nap. Uh, It's been a busy day. Speaking of nap, when baby girl Eliane wants to take a nap, she always says to me, Passy. Well, I think over fall break, while we've been out of town, the passy is no more. So tomorrow when I have her, it's going to be interesting how she lets me know she's ready for a nap. Baby girl's growing up. I heard that she said that she needed to go potty today, and she did. Yeah. She's getting to be so big. I know. Won't be able to call her baby girl much longer. How'd we get off on Eliane? I have no idea. You were talking about how late it was at night and that... Somehow related to nap time. Yeah. Any any chance we get to talk about the Earth Angel, you know, we have to do so. When we were out of town, we've been out of town. We left last Friday because we ran the Chicago Marathon, which may be a topic later, or maybe even for another podcast, we'll decide later what we're going to talk about on this podcast. But while we were gone, Shelby, our daughter-in-law, Ellie's mommy, would occasionally send us pictures and various things that the baby was doing. And that baby loves kitty cats. I should play that video on the podcast just so the listeners can hear how sweet she is. (laughs) You're shaking your head like, yeah, I don't think so. We can insert it into the podcast. We don't want to just play it to the microphone. We don't? No. Okay. So maybe at the end there'll be an outtake or something. It could be. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's sweet. So I did my streak run today. And let me just tell you, the first few days after a marathon, continuing the streak is quite the challenge. On The marathon was on Sunday. So on Monday, I did my streak run on the treadmill. And I noticed that if I put a slight incline on the treadmill, that that changed the angle of my run just enough to relieve the quads a little bit. So I did the same thing yesterday. But today we were back home and I ran outside on our pancake flat greenway. Quads are still talking to me. But anyway, we have 25 days until New York City. I did the math on that. And so once New York City is in my rear view mirror, I'm going to lower my mileage through the end of the year. And I am going to strengthen these quads and my core. So there we go. Coach, strength training block for Paula Roberts. That's a good plan. Let's see if you can stick to it. Oh, I can stick to it. If I decide to do something, you know, I stick to it. I just have to decide to do it. (laughs) I've decided. Oh, there we go. It's just like... It has been etched in stone. It's just like on December 31st, 2009, I swore off as my New Year resolution diet cokes and went all of 2010 without a diet coke and i told myself self if you can go all year without a diet coke you can go without a diet coke well only time i really miss them now is when we go to movies i really want a popcorn and a diet coke it's a good thing we don't go to the movies very often we don't go to the movies very often i think that's because there's not very many good movies out that could be although i did think top gun was a Pretty decent movie for this day and age. Top Gun 2. Yep. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yep. Pretty good flick. I'm just wondering if you have any uh, amazing random news nuggets to share before we get into whatever we're going to talk about today. I did have a couple of random news nuggets. 
to talk about. Have you ever heard of the movie Sharknado? Yes, I have. And actually, I thought, man, as much as people are talking about Sharknado, it must be really awesome. And I think you were with me when I actually turned it on. And I just, it was unbelievably stupid. It is pretty stupid. <laughs> so we watched maybe, I watched maybe eight minutes of it. And I'm like, mm, yeah. Yeah, about the same here. Well, have you ever heard of Smokenado? Is that a movie? It's not a movie. It's a real thing. I have not. Apparently, there was one just south of us in Bowling Green, Kentucky, recently. There was a field on fire, and the fire and the smoke and the wind created a tornado-type formation out of the smoke. Smokenado. I mean, did it just look like a tornado, or was it destructive like a tornado? I don't think it was destructive. So it just had the look. Yeah. Interesting. I've never heard of that. I had never heard of it either. And we go through Bowling Green all the time. We do. Real close to home. In the last podcast, I think it was the last one, we talked about Daniela Reef and her wetsuit that turned out to not be allowed. She cheating. (laughs) Well, there was uh, another violation of the rules. By her? No. Somebody else. In the UCI Road World Championships, apparently there's a certain maximum length of sock you can wear in road cycling because Annemiek van Vluten was fined for her sock height and her skin suit infraction. Who would have known? Both. She had a sock height and skin suit infraction. That's what it seems like. Two violations during the race. So you would wonder why there's a sock height rule. Yeah, I don't really know. (laughs) Crazy rules. Speaking of crazy rules, people are finding out this week whether or not they got into the Tokyo Marathon, which I believe is in March. Yes, it's in March of 2023. And evidently, they have some new rules that pertain to covid And one of those rules is you cannot, they're no longer collecting clothing for donations at the start. And so you cannot bring warm clothing to the start and shed it. So So I guess you wear a garbage bag and you shed it? I wondered about that as well. If they're allowed to take anything and shed it, I really don't know. But if not, they're either going to have to run in clothing that's too warm or freeze in the morning, because I think the average temperature that time of year is between 0 and 5 degrees Celsius, which is right around freezing, you know, 32 degrees Fahrenheit or so. And this weekend at Chicago, it was in the 40s. and Fahrenheit? 40s Fahrenheit, yes. And we both, well, one of us may have had more layers than me, but we both had on clothing that we shed. I think some lucky man is going to be so excited that you donated some Christmas pajamas. Yes, I found some Christmas pajamas that had not been opened yet. An extra pair. I already have a pair that are gray and red striped pants with a gray long sleeve shirt that says Believe on the front. So when I found scavenging through our closet another pair of pajamas i thought that would be really warm and comfy to wear before the race and then i also found a a jogging suit pants and a jacket that i've had since the 80s that i probably haven't worn in 30 years and some of our friends who were in chicago said oh that's a really nice outfit you ought to keep that i didn't have a whole lot of options being at the start and i already had my gear check bag all tied up and all but then i got to thinking you know it is a really nice outfit so whoever gets this after i leave it behind should be very happy yeah i mean i don't i don't think we ought to just donate garbage like it ought to be something i mean i don't go through and pick out my favorite clothing and wear it but i always go to my closet and find something you had mentioned going to goodwill and find something to donate but i feel like we have plenty of stuff in our closets that if we just went and cleaned out our closets we would find a handful of things to take to goodwill on any given day or i don't mean to say goodwill necessarily but donate to a charity of choice yeah 
So for us, that might be Shepherd's Hand here here in our uh, hometown. That's a pretty neat organization. It is a neat organization. Our uh, church used to do our own clothes closet. And so I was going around to consignment shops trying to see if they had donations. And we just wanted to have plenty of clothing. And we tried to set it up like a little miniature TJ Maxx or Marshalls or something where these families could come in and, you know, shop, go through the racks and find things that they liked. And anyway, we did this and every nook and cranny of our church was filled with clothing and clothing racks, like stairwells, closets. Anyway, as we were doing all this, I realized that we were competing with Shepherd's Hand to get this clothing from consignment shops, and I didn't realize that. So somehow our pastor made a connection with the coordinator of Shepherd's Hand, and now we let them take care of organizing and storing all the clothing and then they have trucks and crates and racks and they just now pull into our church and then they provide volunteers we provide volunteers and now since we're not focused on collecting and sorting the clothing we're able to focus on maybe providing a meal or walking around talking with these people seeing if any of them need prayer see if they know the lord that kind of thing mm-hmm. So it's been a, a great partnership. So And that's a huge tangent from where we were, but I think it's important. And you're like, well, where were we? We were on random news nuggets. And we were talking about rules <laughs> violations. Yes, in Tokyo, you can't throw away the clothes anymore. And did you say that you can't bring in any bottles as well? Well, I have not read the Tokyo rules myself, but someone was articulating in the Tokyo Facebook group that you're not allowed to carry bottles for water. Now, I don't know if that's like Chicago, where in the rules they tell you you cannot carry in your own liquid, but everybody did. Except for me and you, because we're rule followers. (laughs) And so we were trying to find, well, I did, you could carry in sealed containers, like if purchased water. So that's what I carried in. And I I think you found water there. No, you carried in water. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. And then... Yeah, we mix our own drinks. What else you got? I think that's about it. I'm looking at something on the track of a dude, and for some reason it was reminding me of the clown that I was afraid was going to beat us at the Chicago Marathon. But I would like to inform the world that I beat the clown. There was a clown. There was the Incredible Hulk. I'm pretty sure Captain America was there as well, because I saw him in our hotel with a shield. I didn't see him in the race. He may have beaten us. Now, what you're seeing on my screen is another article. I wasn't really going to bring it up, but there's a robot, a two-legged robot. They call it a, a, a biped or a bipedal robot that set the 100-meter record as far as two-legged robots go. It looks like it's running backward. It looks a lot like an ostrich without a long neck. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just a little... What do you call it when it's just a little tiny picture on your screen? Tiny, it's tiny. It's not, a it's not a gif, it's a gif. Talk about gif, I'm going to go make a peanut butter sandwich. I'll be right back. Mm. <laughs> you haven't had supper yet? Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. I'm so full from my four o'clock lunch that finally got around to today. Mm. So are you good on random news? Oh yeah. All right, so podcast topics. Here are our options. I mean, it has just been a packed latter week slash weekend of racing. Last Thursday was the women's professional Kona and some age groupers. And then on Saturday was the men's professional world championship Ironman in Kona and age groupers. So we've got that we could talk about. Or we could talk about the Chicago Marathon and talk about the winners of that. We have a new American female record from that race. I mean, I mean, we could talk about any number of items. I think I'll let you pick. <laughs> I think we should talk about the Ironman World Championship. We can talk about our experience in Chicago some other time. Sounds good. So we want to start with Thursday? I think we should. All right. So, full disclosure, I have not yet watched Thursday, but I know the results. So, I do still want to hunker down under a blanket and watch that whole thing sometime 
as we did the men's. That was a great way to spend our spare time in Chicago before the race and after the race. Just vegging out, staying off our feet, getting rest. Yeah, and um, Saturday got away from us the day before the race. I thought we would have much more time to actually watch all of Kona, but it did not happen that way. So we got, what, maybe three hours of it done on Saturday and the other five-plus hours done on Sunday after the race, for which I must say that pizza that you had delivered to our hotel was a person who can't eat gluten's dream of some good pizza. Deep dish gluten-free pizza. It was pretty good. Yeah. Normally when you go to a pizza place and they have gluten-free option, it's like this frozen cardboard that they pull out. But this place actually makes gluten-free dough and cooked a deep dish pizza just for us oh, it was good it was good i think i ate on that pizza for three days yeah i think you did it was good yeah all right so we're going to talk about the professional women's ironman world championship which occurred thursday october the 6th so the swim went pretty much as expected lucy charles barclay took the lead and held the lead and came out of the water first, like she almost always does. And again, that's the position she likes to be in. She likes to be in control of the race from start to finish. Yeah. And Vanilla Langridge had a really quick transition and was able to quickly catch up to Lucy on the bike. And the two of them were working together as much as you can within the legal draft limit. Speaking of that, though, there were quite a few penalties dished out on the bike on the ladies' side for drafting penalties. Some on the men's side as well, but we'll get to the men later. Uh, but it's uh, it's not the easiest thing to do to measure, mentally measure, how far you are away from the bike in front of you. And as you're going up a hill, which the Queen K Highway is rolling hills pretty much the whole way. So you're going up and down and up and down. Anytime you're going up, whoever's behind you is going to catch up. And so it's really easy to slip into the draft zone and not recognize it and get a penalty. But if that is if that occurs, then the proper thing to do is to accelerate up the hill, as painful as that might be, to past the person in front of you. Right, because the rule is once you encroach the zone, you can't fall back out of it. Once you get in it, you've got to go around. Yeah. And you have 20 25 seconds. seconds to go around. Yeah, so Lucy and Fenella held the lead until it was like the last, I don't know, maybe 10 miles on the bike. It was really far into the bike ride. But superstar Daniela Reef came from six or seven minutes back coming out of the water, coming out of T1, and worked her way all the way up to taking the lead. And I heard after the fact that she doesn't even use a power meter. She just goes by feel. I don't see how you do that in this day and age. How do you, how do you know your body that well that you can control your effort to keep yourself fresh for the run. Does she go strictly by feel or is it a heart rate and feel? I feel like she does monitor her heart rate. Maybe she does. Yeah. Which to me personally, I think is smart because power really doesn't take into consideration what heat is doing to your body. Like power takes into consideration wind conditions and elevation conditions, but power really doesn't take into effect how the weather is impacting your body. But that old heart rate ticker does. Yes, it does. So, And I know you and I have different preferences on that, which I think is beneficial to our athletes because we look at both power and heart rate because I prefer heart rate and you prefer... Well, we see the benefit and value in both, but you probably put a little bit more weight into power and I probably put a little bit more into heart rate. Would you agree with that? I do. Yep. Anyway, so as you were saying... Yes, as I was saying... <laughs> So, 
Daniela Reef comes into T2 in the lead. Lucy and Penella come in afterwards. Daniela gets off onto the run first. But Lucy Charles Barclay is burning rubber out of T2 and surges past Daniela Reef. I don't know how fast she was going, but it was unsustainable. But she gapped Daniela and... Because she likes being in the lead. She likes being in the lead, <laughs> likes being chased. And she held the lead for a really long time. But from out of nowhere, Chelsea Sodaro came blistering up the road and eventually caught Lucy and took the lead and held it all the way to the finish. So do we know how many minutes back Chelsea came out of the water behind Lucy Charles Barclay? Chelsea was four minutes behind Lucy coming out of the water. Okay, so Lucy had four minutes on her coming out of the water. And then off the bike... Lucy had a three-minute lead over Chelsea. Okay, so Lucy swam four minutes faster. Chelsea biked one minute faster, if you're not really counting transition times. Yes. Okay. All right, so she was already gaining on her a little bit on the bike. Yeah, so she made up a minute on the bike, and their transitions were pretty close to the same. Okay. All right, so Lucy's in the lead, and here comes Chelsea. Yes, and Chelsea takes the lead. And it was just really interesting watching that and then also hearing her post-race interview. At one point on the run, she, as she's running, she blows a kiss to a man on the side of the road, presumably her husband. And every aid station she was walking through and making sure she got, or jogging very slowly, and making sure she got her hydration or nutrition, as much ice as she could stand. But she was averaging around six and a half minutes a mile on the run, 629. And then if you factor in that she's pretty much walking the aid stations, then from aid station to aid station, she's running about six minutes a mile. So that's just incredible. She ended up running a 251 marathon. Now, wasn't that a new course record for the marathon there for a woman? No, I think Miranda Carfrey still has it. Just a little bit quicker. Okay. You could fact check me on that. Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched it. I didn't know. But it's pretty impressive. That is impressive. I mean, that's impressive for an open marathon. (laughs) Yes, it is. For anybody. So Lucy Charles Barclay was able to hold off Annie Hogg. And everybody thought, I thought, the commentators thought that Annie was going to catch Lucy. But the gap just did not seem to be disappearing. And so Annie ended up third, and she was quoted as saying afterwards that she knew how close she was to second place. She just couldn't get there. Her legs wouldn't go any faster. So it happens. So where is Daniela Reef now in all this? She really struggled on the run, uh, which is un characteristic yes which is uncharacteristic and it was really cool at the finish that chelsea and lucy greeted each other and also greeted annie at the finish it's just great camaraderie i mentioned have you watched the footage you mentioned the commentators yeah i've seen it well where was i (laughs) well you want me to list all the things that you're involved in that i'm not involved in no Okay. <laughs> so I mentioned that several ladies ended up with penalties. Lisa Norton had a five-minute penalty on the bike. I believe it was five minutes. She ended up getting fifth place. And Was she out of third place by more than five minutes? Just wondering if the penalty affected the standings. No, she was 12 minutes out of third place. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. So no, the penalty, in theory, did not Cost her the podium. Cost her a podium. Oh, that's good. And Laura Phillip also had a penalty, and she ended up finishing in fourth place. And likewise, the five-minute penalty was more than the gap to get into third place. A couple things that Chelsea said at the at the finish that I thought were really good. Well, first of all, she greeted her husband, which was the guy she blew a kiss to. 
and her 18-month-old daughter at the finish. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. And like, yeah, I just had a baby. I think I'll go over to Hawaii and win me an Ironman World Championship. <laughs> yeah. And she said that what she did to win was execute her plan. And she didn't think about actually winning until she got on Polani Drive, which is very close to the finish. And then she started thinking that she had it. But otherwise, she was following her plan, but then also running scared not wanting to let up and, and let anybody come up from behind. What was the difference in her and Lucy's finish time? It was pretty significant. She had a seven-minute lead, so yeah. Yeah, she wasn't going to lose that much by the time she got to that little downhill stretch. Oh, no, no. <laughs> so we were talking about at the PTO how coming back from childbirth can make you a stronger athlete. 62% come back stronger, according to the stat quoted at the PTO U.S. Open. Yeah. So that was the highlights of the women's race. It was, it was pretty exciting. Great that American won for the first time since 1995. And it was the first time that a rookie, a Kona rookie, had won on the women's side since 2007. And then also... um a little tidbit was, you know, Jan Ferdino wasn't able to compete as a professional man because of some injuries. Well, he was out on the run course at a uh, water station handing out cups of water. For the women's or for both? For the women's. For, for everybody on Thursday. So the professional women may have gotten water or ice from him. And a lot of the age groupers would have gotten water and ice from him. It's pretty classy to participate in the event as a volunteer since you could not compete and race. Pretty cool. You got anything else you want to say about the ladies race? I haven't seen it yet, babe. All right, well, let's move on to the men's. Okay. Which was on Saturday the 8th, and it was a barn burner as well. And I have seen this race. All right, tell us all about it. Well, I don't know that I want to tell you all about it, but I will start with the swim. And it was just crazy. They had split apart just a little bit as they were going out. It's a it's a one loop course. It's a U sort of. You go. I mean, it's almost a circle, an oval, I guess. But you go out, make the first turn. It's a clockwise swim, which is my preference. So they make the clockwise turn twice, and then they're coming back toward the exit a little bit more than halfway through the race. And the way the current and the swells were going, anybody that had been gapped a little bit, somehow the swells were pushing them back up into the leader. So I guess they were there were enough of them to break the impact of the swells to the people in front of them. I guess it's like someone running in the back. You get the advantage of the tailwind and the people in front of you don't. And so it pushed the group back together. So... Close to two dozen men got to T1 at the same time. It was a big pack. So that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Did you think that was crazy? It was crazy. I've never seen that before. Yeah, and the the times were not exceptional, but uh, it was definitely unusual for there not to be a small number that broke away from the pack. Yeah, I mean, the times were right in line for the leaders of about what it is every year in Kona, so there wasn't anything earth-shattering there. It's just that everybody got that time. <laughs> it was just mm -hmm. crazy. So then there's a mad dash into the steps because everybody wanted to get up the steps first, so who came out of the water first? The person who came out of the water first is not the person who entered transition first because one of, one of the guys just yeah brushed by him. Yeah, Sam Laidlow was leading the pack on the swim, and he and Florian Ingert were kind of going back and forth at, uh, on the swim some, but Sam stood up first and was heading towards the stairs, but somehow Florian was just quicker running across the sand and getting up the steps, so he was able to claim the 
fastest swim of the day. Right. So those two get out of transition first, but then there's a pack of 20 more triathletes coming out almost right with them. But with there being such a big group together, to me, it made the drafting situation even more difficult because if you're going to overtake one cyclist, you almost get into the draft zone of the next cyclist in that process. And so if you're going to take over one, you almost got to take over 10. And And uh, that's a lot of energy to expend. Yeah. Especially if there's an uphill involved. Yes. And so there were several draft penalties on the men's side from seasoned triathletes that you would think would never get a draft penalty. Yeah. The most notable penalty that I remember was Magnus Dietlove, who finished second in the PTO Dallas. He's a very strong cyclist, strong on the swim. He was in that front group of cyclists, but he got called out, so he had to serve his five-minute penalty. And it cost him. Yes, it did. He would have been four places higher if he had not received the penalty. Mm-hmm. Still not on the podium, but... Yeah. And also, you don't know how that affects your day mentally as well, so it may very well cost you more than the five minutes as you're sitting there watching all the cyclists zoom by in those five minutes. Yeah. So And you, you've been there. When you actually, the race you qualified for Kona, you got a bike penalty, and I was at the next checkpoint thinking, oh no, something's happened. You come zooming by just fast as ever. I'm thinking, okay, I must not be where I thought I was on the course. And then I don't even think it was till like the next day or maybe even after awards that you told me you got a bike penalty. Yeah, the course was so packed. It was it was just almost impossible not to be in a drafting situation. Yeah, every time I saw you, there were just a pack of cyclists. Like, there was no... And not just you. Anytime I saw any cyclist, like it was just like putting four hundred bikes on a quarter mile track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The course wasn't conducive to the number of riders, but yeah, there had been flooding in Texas, so at the last minute they had to redo the bike course. And anyway, I think the officials were like, "Well, there's definitely drafting here. Who looks like they won't argue with me?" and you know, you probably looked mm-hmm. at them and like, pick me, pick me. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but they could tell you're a nice guy. Ben. Mm, like, right. We can get away with getting here. But anyway, you still made Tacona, even with penalty. Yeah, and I tried not to be directly behind anybody. I didn't want any unfair advantages. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was no way around it unless you literally just stopped and let a bunch of bikers I mean, I don't know. It was just ridiculous. But anyway, back to what what are we talking about? World Championships. Yes, on, on the bike. Mm-hmm. So, so Lalo's out in front. Yeah, Florian Anger slips back a little bit on the bike. And Lalo is taking the lead, which he took the lead in PTO Canadian Open. He took the lead in the PTO US Open. Um, he took the lead in the Collins Cup. And all those situations, he ended up losing his lead. And then two of those situations, he ended up walking on the run. In Dallas, he didn't walk, which is a step in the right direction. So I was expecting Sam Laidlow to walk on the run after pushing so hard on the bike. But anyway. Yeah, you were saying that when he still had, like, well, I won't get ahead of us. But you said that a lot. I did. While we were watching. I, I wasn't necessarily rooting against him. I just expected it to happen. All right, so moving right along. <laughs> so on the bike, the Norwegians, Christian Blumenfeldt, Gustav Eden, were highly favored to win the, the Ironman World Championship for the Benz. They were steadily working their way up from behind on the bike. At some point, Sam laid low. He looks back, or maybe he's getting a, some information from the motorcycles that the two Norwegians are right behind him. And he drops the hammer down. And And you're like, you're going to walk on a run. And he ends up setting a new bike course record. 
crushing it. And then I think he had almost six minutes of a gap over Gustav Eden, Christian Blumenfeld, and Max Newman from Australia going into T2. So then on the run, I'm expecting <laughs> Sam to walk, but he's doing his thing. And he looked good. Like, he looked smooth. He looked he looked peppy. Yeah, and then Gustav Eden and Christian Blumenfeld take off on T2, and it looks like they're running really hard. And Max Newman comes up behind them and puts in a surge like Lucy Charles Barclay did against Daniela Reef. Although Max couldn't hold on to that. Mm-mm. No, those Norwegians weren't having that. No, they went with him once they realized he was trying to gap them. But then he ended up slowing down just a little bit. But I was impressed with how determined Max Newman was throughout the race. So everybody was concerned about the heat. That's always a concern in Hawaii for the world championship. Go back to the bike for just a second. Okay. The commentators kept saying, look out into the ocean. What do you not see? And there were no white caps. So it's like a very rare, rare day. There was no headwind coming back from Javi. The wind was still. Yeah, no headwind or crosswind. Right. In either case, Mm -hmm. it impacts your ability to go fast. Yeah. So I think... So it was ideal conditions for going fast. Yeah. And I think that contributed... To him setting the course record. But he also just cycled well. He did. He did. But he was going to walk on a run. That's what I thought. <laughs> I kept going, no, he's not. You're like, yes, he does. He always does. <laughs> so halfway through, Sam Lalo still has like a three-minute lead. So Gustav Eden, Christian Blumenfeld had made up about three minutes of the gap from the bike. Now onto the run, halfway through the marathon. So, and you know what they're thinking? He's going to walk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're thinking it, you go with experience, right? And you're like, we're we're at mile fifteen, sixteen. You're like, he's not even going to be in top ten. <laughs> tell me, tell me, you said that. I said that. <laughs> I got pick on you a little bit. That's okay. Okay, but I, I must say I have some new respect for Sam Laidlow, for hanging in there. But the Norwegians had a plan that as they were leaving the energy lab, they were going to pick up the pace. And Yeah, and this is after they had already gained three minutes on Laidlow. Yeah, yeah. And Gustav Eden just had a lot more energy in the tank than the former world champion and Olympic gold medalist, Christian Blumenfeld, is he put in a four minute and 38 second mile around the 19 mile mark in the marathon after riding the bike 112 miles. He put the hammer down. So if the Ironman tracking app is correct, Gustav put in a 438 mile from the 18 mile mark to the 19 mile mark. That's quite the surge. That's quite the surge. I just wonder if their one of their mile markers was off a little bit, but man, that's crazy. But he ended up Gustav Eden ended up averaging five fifty four for the marathon, coming off of the bike for a new Kona run course record of two hours and thirty six minutes and fifteen seconds, also setting the Kona full course record of 7 hours and 40 minutes and 24 seconds, breaking Jan Fredino's previous course record. So it was a just an amazing accomplishment. And even though Eden had only passed laid low maybe around mile 22, 23, he ended up winning by a full two minutes. But Blumenfeld was unable to catch up to laid low and actually he needed quite a bit of medical attention after he crossed the finish line he gave it all he had it just wasn't enough this time yeah because they were together what at mile 22 Blumenfeld and Eden were together till around maybe 18 if if that's when Eden put in the 438 mile okay well 
Can I tell you my favorite moment in the entire men's professional world championship? Go ahead. You probably know it. I think I do, but you should go ahead and tell it. When, of course, Laidlaw has been leading the whole day. The swim, the bike, most of the run. And 20... 22, maybe. 22, 23 miles of the run. And as Eaton started overtaking him, he patted his back, but not in some kind of... He said something, too. But anyway, Laidlow reached out and, like, high-fived him or something, like, did something to... Yeah, they, they ended up almost shaking hands. Yeah. Anyway, it was very good sportsmanship, and I think Laidlow was just happy when walking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was an article I read that said that Gustav Eden told Laidlow when they passed, I'm proud of you. That's pretty cool. And there was another moment of sportsmanship going in and out of the energy lab. I think that's where this occurred. Laidlow was out in the lead before Eden caught him. Lionel Sanders is way back, but it's on an out-and-back section. And Lionel Sanders moves over towards Laidlow and like holds out his hand and they they clap hands. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, which I was really a little bit disappointed. I was hoping that Colin Chartier coming off of the PTO championship in uh, Texas while we were there, I was hoping he would make a good showing mm-hmm. in Kona. But I guess he has some work to do. He's going to race full course, long course. Yeah, he did have a flat tire, but it was changed quickly, and he was able to get into the second pack on the on the bike. Which but I, I think the top four coming off the bike were the top four finishing on the run. Yes. Just the order switch, but you don't see that very often. Usually at least <laughs> at least two of them, two of the top four, have overbiked and fall way back. Yeah, and... and I expected there to be a lot of struggling on the run because of how hard everybody biked, but bike conditions were favorable and everybody stuck to their plan as far as power output, heart rate, potentially fueling, staying cool. It was pretty exciting. Yeah, and um, Eaton broke the course record by like 12 minutes or something. I don't remember how much, but it was sizable. Yeah, it was... 10 to 12 minutes for sure. And the other thing is, normally, under 8 hours, you break 8 hours, you win. And the top 10 were all under 8 hours. Pretty amazing. In the post-race interview, Gustav Eden made the comment about how hard this was. And he said he's not sure if he wants to come back again. (laughs) I do remember him saying that. But he and Christian Blumenfeld are going to be changing their focus to get ready for the next Summer Olympics. Blumenfeld already has a gold medal. Gustav Eden wants his own gold medal. Well, if he executes like he did Saturday, there will be no contest. I mean, you just watch his run stride as compared to Blumenfeld. I mean, one of them looks like a cheetah and the other one looks like a bull. (laughs) Yeah. Blumenfeld's a big guy. He's a big guy. And he runs kind of clunky, but I mean, it's effective. He doesn't run nearly as clunky looking as, to me, Lionel Sanders still gets the clunky run award. He does, but I he he makes it work. He, well, he used to make it work. We'll see if he can get back. He'll be back. We'll see. So it was an exciting weekend of triathlon spectating via the internet. Yeah, so we're in Chicago. We could be doing all things. Instead, we're laying in the hotel room with our face stuck to the computer, watching the world championships. Staying off our feet, getting ready for Chicago. And recovering. Yes. And there was a lot of recovery needed. <laughs> hey, after your training block, you got through 26.2 miles, so there you have it. Let's talk about equipment at the Ironman World Championship for a moment. Okay. I know you had mentioned previously that there was a new fancy wheel. Yes, I did. The head Jet 180. There were several head-sponsored pro athletes riding that, but they did not end up winning. And they weren't the fastest bikers either? Actually, Sam Laidlow was riding the 
hit Jet 180. So that could have contributed to him setting the course record. So every year at Kona, as athletes are setting up their transition area the day before, there's a line of people standing beside the entryway into transition, and they are trying to record all the gear that the people participating have. Now, it's not very easy to figure out what type of goggles or maybe what type of running shoes, but they do a really good job capturing all the bike gear. And just one thing that stood out to me was it seemed like year over year, Cervelo is the most popular bike at the Ironman World Championship. Seems like when you did Kona, Cervelo gave you something as you were entering because you had a Cervelo bike. They did. They gave me a t-shirt. Very nice. I still have a t-shirt. But doing a little bit of research, I wanted to figure out what kind of super shoes were the professional athletes wearing, and in particular, the two winners. You come to find out, Gustav Eden wore a prototype shoe by the company OnCloud. It was called the OnCloud Boom Echo 3. Kind of makes me think of the Sonic Boom, <laughs> which you and I had a conversation about. Is it Off topic. A, is it a uh, carbon-plated shoe? I presume so. I, the article I read didn't really comment on the carbon, but this shoe would be illegal for running events because the stack height is 50 millimeters. Now, I didn't notice it when I was watching the coverage, but going back and looking at still shots, it's pretty tall shoes. For running races, the maximum stack height is 40 millimeters. But for triathlon, there are no restrictions of any kind on the type of shoes to be worn. So it's quite likely that other manufacturers are going to come up with new special super triathlon shoes. Either that or triathlon will invoke a new rule. It could be that they decide to follow the, the rules that all the races running races follow as well. Could Which be. I'm assuming it's a USATF rule. What I read was uh, World Athletics. Okay. Yeah. And then, so that was Gustav Eden's shoes, and Chelsea Sodero wore the Asics Metaspeed Sky shoes. Not a prototype, something off the shelf, but something that it seemed like a lot of the professionals were wearing. But it's hard to say what the most common shoes were. You know, I would have expected, based on what we see at road races, that the Nike Alpha Flies and the Vapor Flies would be common. Now, Sam Laidlow did head on the Sam Laidlow did wear the Vapor Flies, but as far as knowing what was most prevalent, we don't have that information. I'm pretty sure Sam Long had on the Vapor Flies at the PTO US Open. He may have a couple of interesting stories, some interesting characters. At the World Championships, Audrey Mayhow, if I pronounced that right, M-A-H-O-U. How would you pronounce that? No idea. Okay. Audrey, she decided to take it easy at Kona after the hard work to qualify. And so she decided to ride a fat tire bike. And she had it decked out and decorated with smiley stickers, a front basket, a bell, streamers, and she had Snoopy and Woodstock strapped to the back. You know, I saw that, and I wondered if she was a Kona qualifier or if she'd gotten in some other way. What I read, this was her third trip to Kona as a qualifier, and she just wanted to have fun. I do not know how that would be fun, but all right. So I'm guessing she got a lot of cheers, except there just aren't a lot of spectators along the Queen K. Oh, well. And Sam... Holdness became the first openly autistic athlete to complete Kona. It's pretty impressive. And Chris Nickick became the first athlete with Down syndrome to finish Kona. Yeah, it hadn't been too long ago that he was the first Down syndrome person to complete an Ironman full distance. And he did that, I believe, in Panama City Beach. I was thinking that was where it was, which was a really difficult swim last year. 
Something else we noticed while we were watching the streaming coverage, at the end of the run, there was a unique headband that several pro athletes were wearing. And we have since learned it's made by Amius, and it's designed with a lot of cube shapes that are supposed to be more effective at evaporating the sweat, thus keeping you cooler. So that's something we're going to have to consider for those hot summer months, which thankfully are behind us for this year. I'm happy to have the heat and humidity in the rearview mirror, but I do prefer heat and humidity over below 20 degrees Fahrenheit, I'll have to say. I agree with you. There was a verse that stood out to me from our one-year Bible app this week. It's from Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. The Lord said through Jeremiah, Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord. And it just really stood out to me that how do we know the Lord? Well, here's some of how we know the Lord. We do justice and we do righteousness and we help the poor and needy because God loves everyone, especially those who have a difficult time taking care of themselves. Oh, they like you. They're so tiny. It's two. It's two. Yeah, two kitties. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.